Good to see you guys. Um, everybody ready for Christmas? Oh, is anybody not ready for Christmas? Let's see those hands. Okay. How many of you don't know if you're ready for Christmas? All right, man. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm assuming my wife has taken care of it. Isn't that a terrible assumption? That is a terrible she, she loves assumption. it, though. She loves it. Giving gifts okay. is her love language. So, see, mine is. My loves washing dishes, too. Yes, her I love was, language is okay. laundry and dishes. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> were dating and we were grown it's not like we were 20 okay we were grown and we went to his parents house to like for christmas and he was like we don't need to wrap gifts we'll just wrap them with their wrapping and everything when we get there sounds like, like a guy in his 30s yeah, is a, I was it's, like, it's no, no, no. his we're idea of christmas we're gonna go buy our own wrapping and wrap them and come with our wrap gifts anyway matthew's probably watching at home He's right gone. now He's with gone. sick kids and so we can talk about him yeah that's yeah, right. Exactly. That's right. That's oh. how grown you are when you're 20. That's right. <laughs> oh. Well, we're so glad you guys are here. Thanks for watching online. If you're not able to be here, uh, nice chilly morning to yeah. stay home, to be honest. But but uh, it's good to be here. There is something about being here, though, in there to be in the presence of with one another in community. Man, what a sweet spirit! And I I really do hope and pray that translates online as you guys watch. That if you can't be here, that you get a sense of what God is doing here. We've we've been in this series. Uh, by the way, yes, this is a little different today. This is, this is part of my teaching team. Uh, these are the teachers, but this is part of the group that gets together every Monday, and we talk about what we're doing. We talk about the messages every week, and the rest of this team is Keegan here on the front row, and where's Liz? She's back in the middle there. They also contribute to these conversations that kind of help us put this together, and I'm convinced that, you know, I've said enough already this year, and so there's other people that need to be able to speak, and so I asked Amy and Steve if they would, how, did somebody say amen to that? I, I heard said, I heard some amens on that. I, hey, trust me, nobody feels it better than me, so no, but I love to have some help because I think one of the be beautiful things about our church is diversity and voices, and to, to not just hear from a single voice all the time, and you guys know Steve and Amy do a great job. Uh, they're not fill-in for me. They're part of the team. They're as, as vital as I am to what's taking place here. And I thought as we wrap up our series called Crowned, uh, where we've been looking at kings and a queen throughout this series, I thought as we wrap it up today, we get to the most significant king, right? The one that it's all been pointing to, which is King Jesus. And I thought, what better thing to do today than sit down and just kind of have a conversation about who King Jesus is, why is he king, Jesus, and what does that mean for how we live? But you know, before we get there, we've been talking about kings and queens, and I think every week one of the conversation points we had is how they don't measure up. What is, anything stuck out to you, either of you, about how, how what do we do, David and Esther and Herod? Herod measured up pretty well, but uh, just kidding. <laughs> what, what stuck out to you guys as far as, as we look at these kings that didn't quite measure up? Well, it always stands out in my mind that David, who was said to be a man after God's own heart, had one of the most dysfunctional families <laughs> that you can imagine. There's hope for the rest of us. <laughs> <laughs> so evidently, God can assess somebody having a heart after him that it doesn't have it all together, yeah. isn't perfect in everything. Uh, that's, that stands out to me. Mm -hmm. I think I was... I mean, I just came off researching Herod all last week, but I'm so struck by the contrast of thinking about what we're gonna talk about today and what I do know in my experience of King Jesus 
versus all these other kings. And we did see Esther like using her power or the little authority that she did have her beauty, you know, Mm -hmm. um, for the good of people laying, potentially laying down her life, risking her life. And so you see this kind of picture in Jesus in her in that Mm -hmm. way. But I was just struck by the power hungry, um, the selfishness of most of most of the kings that we see in scripture and today. Like it still resonates. It's like this still feels very real. In fact, my mom said to me after the service last year, sermon last week, she said, "It's not just America. You know, humans are. There is this like power hungry. We are, yeah. we we strive for." For that. And really, I think we would all agree that what we find in the Bible is just as the, we, we did the big story and everything kind of built on everything else. And even as we've gone through the Kings, you feel an incompleteness there. David called a man after God's own heart, but clearly in his life, lots of failure, lots of disappointment. The end of his life didn't end well. Esther, you know, we don't know what really happened after with her, but I mean, even she had her doubts. And of course, Herod's just off the charts, just wicked and evil. But everything kind of leaves us with this um, wanting more, desiring for more, looking for more. And I think, you know, when you think about, well, how do you know your faith is real? I think that's, for me, that's part of it. It's kind of, there's something within me that says, this can't be it. If you look at a king or a queen, as good as David or Esther might have been, they're still not great. They're still not perfect. There's still something there that you're going, but isn't there more? And I think that's where I get it. Kind of whets your appetite for what is to come. And, and what's amazing about how God has structured his word is that he, didn't he do it beautifully, just kind of leading everything to the climax of the story about this King Jesus. And we find that he is so, I mean, he does, he has some things that are similar to Esther and similar to David and similar to some of the good qualities of the kings, but really he, he stands on his own. He's outside so much. And, but as I thought about, as we talked today, you know, how do we even know Jesus is king? I mean, is this just something we made up? Is this something we thought, well, this will be good. Let's, because he doesn't look like a king. And so I, you know, I, this week as we were talking, I, I put some verses down because I thought it's very interesting when you go back and even look at the prophets to see how they describe Jesus, how they talked about him. It's in this ruling king language, royal language. Uh, for example, Micah 5.2 is one of these verses where it says, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, uh, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. I mean, look at that language, who will be a ruler. What does that mean? I mean, what does that look like? I mean, we're getting glimpses, right, of, of the kingship, or even Isaiah. Uh, one of the most common passages we read this time of year, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. What's that next one? Prince. I mean, Prince of Peace. There's that royal language again. And then it goes on, verse 7, it says, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. His reign on David's throne and over his kingdom. I mean, just look at the language that the prophet is using here, establishing and, and upholding. And even in yeah. that passage, I was just I was reading that this week, and it's the that he also talks about in every valley 
will be exalted and every hill made low yeah. and the rough places made plain for, as a highway for our God. It's like, again, you see, you see the power of this king, but you also see, like, to me, that's accessibility. You know, it's like, literally, things become level with yeah. this king. The, the haughty are made low. Those who have been nobodies are lifted. And there is this, like, accessibility to this king that there hasn't been, yeah. you know. Um, so you see, you start to see this, like, kingship language, but then also, like, this is, this is going to be a really different king. Yeah. And you know, in Luke chapter 2, it talks about Simeon meeting Mary and Joseph when they brought the baby to the temple for dedication ceremonies. And it says that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And that phrase always struck me, waiting for the consolation of Israel. Well, think of the history of Israel. Mm-hmm. The, the repeated conquerings, the, the repeated... Uh, oppression, the repeated battlement, the you know the Babylonian captivity, and uh, the, the Maccabean revolts, and and uh, the, now the oppression of Herod in union with the Roman Empire. Uh, he, he's waiting for the consolation of Israel, and what is he waiting for? He's waiting for this ruler over Israel, this prince of peace, this one we've been talking about. Absolutely. You think about the context of when the prophets were making, announcing these things, and they were in captivity. They were desiring something more. Their life was not how they wanted it to be. They're miserable in their existence, honestly. And so this language, I think, is hope-filled language. It's a language that's like, oh, yes, this is what is to come. But I also think there's a danger in the language. And, and, uh, the danger to me is just simply this, because sitting on this side of the New Testament, in the New Testament, we know what it means, but that language there meant something very different yeah. to them. Yeah. I mean, when, you, when they thought of a king, they did think of David. They thought of Saul. They thought of all these kings, and they thought of power and control. And so there's almost a little bit of a danger in using that language. You almost have to bring it back. And really, as you jump to the New Testament, I don't know that that Jesus even, um, what he modeled certainly was different, but the things he said could have even built into that a little bit. You know, like Matthew 4, Jesus, uh, we read this, it says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach. And these are Jesus's words. He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. I mean, there's that kingdom language again. Jesus is using it. And even uh, in John 18, he's before Pilate. He's about to be crucified. And uh, Pilate says he went back inside in the palace and summoned Jesus. And Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, is that your own idea or did others talk to you about me? And Pilate says, am I a Jew? Your own people and chief priest handed you over to me. What is it that you've done? And Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders, but now my kingdom is from another place. And then Pilate says, you are a king then. And Jesus said, you say I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into this world is to testify the truth. Everyone on this side of the truth listens to me. Jesus is not diminishing that. He's not saying, no, 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 let's don't use that king language of me. He's not renouncing his title, you know, like Harry or Meghan or whatever, you know, he's like owning it, right? <laughs> Sorry, t- sore, okay. sore spot We're, there. I have not have watched it. I have not watched it, so I'm not, I'm just being funny. So, so I mean, but he's really kind of owning that, yeah, right? Yeah, and the, even in the, um, you know, the 
first words that he uses are repent, you know, mm. repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near, like you said in Matthew. And the, I, we think of repent as like cry about your sin, you know, all those things. But repent really is about changing yeah. your mind, changing the way you think and live. And it, so it makes sense. He's like, this is a new kind of kingdom. Like change your mind, mm. <laughs> change your thinking and your understanding of what a king is like. Um, this is going to be different than anything you've ever imagined. You know, even though the disciples hung out with Jesus for three years or so, and they walked through the, the crucifixion and all of the turmoil that created in their lives, and then the resurrection, and they encountered the living Christ, and their first question was, now? <laughs> now will you restore the kingdom to Israel? They're still thinking empire thinking. They're still thinking conquering. And, but Jesus said in, in these passages that's already been mentioned, Matthew 4, he said, the kingdom of heaven has come near. In other words, the kingdom is infiltrating. It's coming close. It's at hand. And then he goes on to say, my kingdom is not of this world. Mm -hmm. If it were, my servants would fight. Mm -hmm. Well, let's pause on that for a moment. <laughs> if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. But, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. And therefore, my servants are going to manifest my kingdom in a different format than you might be thinking, Pilate. I, a king in a different sense than you yeah. understand. And, and my brain automatically goes to, if Jesus is saying, if it was, this is what they would do, yeah. but it's not, so they should not yes. be doing this. Yeah. The fighting is not yeah. the way the kingdom of God exactly. comes about. And, and so as we continue through, what's interesting is you go through even the, the early church and there is this idea that even the early church took this king language and applied it to Jesus. So in Acts chapter 17, there's a guy named Jason who's a part of the church and there's a story and it basically says they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials. You got to love that language, right? They dragged them. This was, not a, this was not a friendly gathering of people of sharing of ideas. I mean, they're angry and the crowd and they're shouting, these men have caused trouble all over the world. Uh, they've come, now come here and Jason has welcomed them into this house. He's talking about Paul and Jason's opened his house to Paul and they're hearing the message of Jesus and, uh, and Jason has welcomed them and it says, they are all defying Caesar's decree, saying there is another king, one called Jesus. And of course, you know, in this setting, the Caesar was king. There was no king beside him. I mean, he was called the son of man. There were a lot of descriptors that we use for Jesus that were also used for Herod. And so for the early Christians to put those on someone other than Caesar was basically treasonous yeah. and could, that's why you could be killed is because you don't say that about anyone but Caesar. And yet here, even though they're being dragged, Stephen was stoned. I mean, persecution is beginning. There's something about the kingship mm -hmm. of Jesus 
that was very important to them. It was something crucial for them to understand and grab onto. Because, I mean, today, I think this is probably a challenge for us, isn't it? Because we don't live in that king world. You know, we're not in the UK. We didn't have the queen for 70 years or whatever, or King Charles and all this. We don't deal with that. So royalty to us is like, yeah, whatever. But this was critical for them at that time to grab onto and say, no, no, no. He's not just something else. He's also King Jesus. I don't know. What do you guys think? Well, I, I get excited about that passage of Scripture because it sounds like um, the empire was threatened by a home group. <laughs> Jason has these people at his house. They're not meeting at church on Sunday morning. No. Not, not at Ashworth or not at Hope or not anywhere. They're at his house, exactly. And they're turning the world upside down, it says. <laughs> My favorite verse right there. Yeah, but they're very threatened. Yeah. And, you know, talking about Herod last week and just the fragility yeah. of power, the fragility of control, and that something as insignificant. And remember, at this point, it's not like Christianity was around the world that, you know, you'd had the day of Pentecost, the message is spreading, but it, there's probably not even a hundred thousand people at this point that, that are following Jesus. You're talking about a very insignificant yeah. number of people. I mean, on most people's radar, they'd have called it just a gnat. You know, it's not it just, psh, we can swat that. But there was something going on and it was, it had to do with King Jesus. And then we go forward, even into the New Testament, we see a couple of things where this idea of kingship, of King Jesus, isn't going away. I mean, it's something that Jesus is, is holding on to, where Hebrews 2.9 says, But we do see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor, because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. I mean, look at that. He's crowned. Again, this royal language. And even in Revelation 19. You read, and, and uh, John is speaking, and he's uh, writing down. He says, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider was called Faithful and True. We believe this to be an image of Jesus. With justice, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. And he has a name written on them that no one knows but he himself. He's dressed in a robe dipped in blood. It's his own blood, by the way. Mm -hmm. and, he, and his name is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven were following, uh, coming out of his mouth, a sharp sword. He's not actually got a physical sword. It's his word, yes. which is to strike down the nations. And then if you jump to the end, it says, on his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Mm -hmm. I mean, from the beginning till the end, I mean, we're just getting this incredible picture that I think we need to recapture a little bit here is this idea of the kingship of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I was struck by this. I was watching news coverage of what's going on over in uh, Ukraine. And, you know, we've been bombarded with images of war and uh, soldiers and in military garb and, and military equipment and devastation and it's dirty, it's ugly, it's, it's una, unappealing, it's offensive to my eyes. Mm -hmm. But this picture of this invasion from heaven, it says that the armies of heaven riding on white horses and dressed in Fine linen, <laughs> fine linen. They have on their tuxedos. They have on their very best. They're not in military garb. They're not in fatigues. And, and uh, coming out of 
His mouth, the Lord's mouth, the king's mouth, it says is a sword. A sword. Well, what is the sword? It's the word of God. It's truth. It's the sword of truth. Now we get a picture of a company of people in league with Jesus who are walking in purity, not in militarism, not in hostility, not to do violence, but to bring truth. And he is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Prince of Peace. And his crown, I mean, I I always imagine like, it says crowns. I'm like, well, one of them was a crown of thorns. Yeah. And his robe dipped in blood. Again, I think I would have thought for a long time that that would have been like the blood of his enemies that he's just wiped out with, the, with his sword. No, the sword. he's coming back angry, right? Yeah, he's like, yeah, the sword is it's the, the sword of Jesus truth. It's no. not a weapon of um, that we understand as a yeah. sword. And it's and the blood, like you said, is his own blood. I mean, what you see is this picture of this. Power. I mean, it is a powerful picture of a powerful king who will reign, but he's a suffering king. You know, he is yeah. a king who's like, here, look at my, you know, my bloody robe and my crown of thorns. Again, it's just so striking. And this leads us, yeah, it is striking because I think when we think of king, we do look at the kings yeah. we've looked at in the series and it is power, it is control, it's all these things. And I think sometimes we bring those lenses that we're viewing into our own understanding of Jesus. I I wrote down here, there's a danger of seeing Jesus only through our preferred lens, like tiny Jesus with your golden fleece diapers, with your (laughs) tiny little fat balled up fist, eight ounce, six pound, newborn infant Jesus. You know, that, that what Jesus are we looking for? What Jesus do we want to see represented? And so often what we do is we form Jesus, even King Jesus, in our own image. The Jesus we think he should be, the Jesus we want him to be, as opposed to the Jesus that he actually is. And when you really begin to contrast Jesus with royalty in the Bible and throughout history, we see a lot of things in Jesus that are not normally associated mm-hmm. with royalty, mm-hmm. do we? Mm-hmm. I mean, what, what, when we think of the things we see in Jesus that aren't typical royalty, what do you see? I see meekness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Willing to sacrifice yourself, that, that humility is so unheard of in royalty. Or I think of the meekness. It took me a while to kind of understand what meekness meant. And I remember when I learned about the kind of image of meekness, I was like, wow, that's amazing. We think of meekness as bad a lot of times. Like in American culture, like, oh, you don't want to be meek. You know, you need to stand up for yourself. But mm-hmm. but um, the image or the actual word is like a, um, in the scripture around meekness is this image of a, of a bridled horse. Like they have a lot of power. And it's somehow constrained. Like it's actually, there's a control in it. And not a bad control, but like you want to go after somebody and you don't. You know, there's like this gentle power, this gentleness and this powerful. And, and, and in that the truth though, I mean, when we think about it, it's only when we don't have true power 
or we don't realize our power that we feel like we have to exert yeah. ourselves. Yeah. And, and Jesus yeah. didn't have to do that. I mean, what did, it, what did they say? I mean, he could have called 10,000 angels to rescue him from the cross has he, had he wanted to. I mean, he didn't have to do that. He chose to do that. Right. And, and he, it wasn't that he didn't have power. He absolutely yeah. did. But he was meek and he was gentle. And there was a tenderness yeah. with Jesus. I mean, you look at just how Jesus lived and how he engaged and interacted with people. Part of, um, you'll hear this next week on the Christmas Day message, but part of the reason people had a problem with Jesus is he didn't come in kicking butt and taking names. You know, I mean, that was the problem. He saw the woman caught in adultery and he didn't say, yeah, I'm sorry, throw the stones. He looked and he said, yeah, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And then he looks at the woman and he says, okay, who's here to condemn you? Now go and sin no more. When he was having dinner at the Pharisee's house and the woman comes in and, you know, sits at his feet, scandalous, scandalous moment. Jesus doesn't throw her out and say, get away from me. Don't touch me. You're making me unclean. No, I mean, he leans into this. He leans into the lepers. He leans into all the outcast. And there's such a tenderness and compassion and not anything that he did with any of those individuals threatened his kingship threatened his power, threatened his control. I mean, it was just like, I know who I am. I know what I've come to do. So yeah, speak all you want about me. It doesn't matter. And he, I got into like, I don't know. I posted something that I thought was like so meaningful on Facebook this week. And of course I had a friend, an old Tell you it was wrong. Yeah. Anyway, but it was around this idea of like, I mean, God could have, why did he come as a baby? He didn't have to. You know, I think there's, he's revealing, not only does he go to the vulnerable, vulnerable, but he makes himself yeah. vulnerable. So it's not just like, hi, I love you all. It's like, no, I am you all, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And chooses the womb of a woman, like, and grow, and, and then is a tiny baby, you know, and baby Jesus and toddler Jesus and all those things. Like, I was up all night, with a puking four-year-old. Like Jesus would have had those nights. Mary had that moment. I mean, he was (laughs) like, he chose to come in the most vulnerable package and he did not have to do that. There's something so profound about that. And okay, I want to say one other thing because I was, I wanted to say this last week and I forgot, like before you talk. (laughs) Hair, okay. What am I going to say? Last (laughs) week, I was just thinking about Herod and his palace and, I mean, and you know, Jesus being born in this, in Bethlehem, in the literal shadow of Herod's palace. But I was thinking later, Jesus didn't even have a home. Like when he was king, you know, revealing the kingdom of God, ministering, it says in scripture that Jesus had no place to lay his head. He was dependent on other people to take him in. Jesus, I mean, a king has a palace. That's part of who a king, it's part of what you get when you're a king is you get all the pomp and circumstance, the palace, whatever. He, the man didn't have a home. Yeah. Well, and I think that's part of the problem with Jesus. I mean, if we want to say it that way, is that when we want a king, yeah. we don't want the homeless Jesus. Mm-mm. We don't want Mm-mm. that way. We look for those that are proud and arrogant and boastful and controlling. And that seems to be the desire that we want. And I, you know, 
it's, it's very difficult for us to use crowned language with Jesus. We were talking about this on Monday because he's not what we expect and usually he's not what we want, if we're honest. Yeah. You know, I was thinking of this dynamic. Um, Brent put a list here that we've kind of touched on, tenderness, compassion, humility, meekness. Um, you know, he, he didn't seek publicity. I, I, I'm struck by how often he said to the people he them. did miracles for, he said, don't tell anybody. When the disciples said, hey, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. He said, shh, 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 don't tell anybody. <laughs> he didn't want publicity. He didn't want celebrity. That's very countercultural to the way we think today. But I also thought of something else. One of the buzzwords in politics um, and in power application in the society is law and order. And the Pharisees in Scripture um, were big on law and order. I mean, they watched people carefully to see how they were going to abide by the rules and the regulations of society. And Jesus on one occasion said, don't be like the Pharisees. They lay heavy burdens on you. But he said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. I'm not trying to tie you up to be under control of a regime of domination and control. I'm trying to release you into the freedom of grace and mercy. And the scripture in Romans, Paul says, mercy triumphs over judgment. That's a powerful truth in understanding the King Jesus. You know, as you were saying that, the other, something else that's said in Paul's letters is, you know, he talks about, he says, it's your kindness that leads mm -hmm. to repentance. And again, these things are so counter yeah. to what we yeah. think. No, we yeah. think it's shame and guilt that yeah. leads to repentance. Yeah. We, think it's, we think it's power and control that leads to the kingdom of God. And yet what we forget is we want the ruling and reigning Jesus, mm -hmm. but we can't get to that Jesus without going through the cross. That's right. I mean, and I think that's the most powerful thing we have to understand is we don't get there. And Jesus, in practicality, we want that Jesus. In, in, I think it's one of these things that looks good on paper. But don't ask me to do what Jesus did because Jesus setting that example through the cross also calls those within his kingdom to die to self, to daily pick up your cross and follow him. Mm -hmm. And we would much rather have butt-kicking Jesus <laughs> than servant Jesus. Mm -hmm. And yet that's where King Jesus really begins to tear down our paradigms of what royalty in the kingdom yeah. of God looks like. I um, was reading a book by... Um, a Franciscan monk, monk, his name is Richard Rohr, and his quote was, we suffer to get well, we surrender to win, we die to live, we give it away to keep it. Yeah. And I like stopped and like wrote that on my phone. I'm like, I just need this reminder. Like we suffer to get well, we surrender to win, we die. And, and I agree with you in the sense that I, I'm like, I don't, I actually, like on the surface, I'm like, I don't want a vulnerable, meek king. You know, I'm like, ooh, this feels uncomfy. This is not, you know, but, and, and I don't want to suffer. But, 
I also, I do know in some microcosm, uh, you know, like just some tiny experience of this, I have been so blessed by vulnerable leadership. So I think about you. <laughs> God help I'm not us. calling him king, but I mean a leader in my life. He's my boss. There have been so many times that we've talked about things and you've been like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Or you said, yeah, I think I've changed my mind on that. And I've said to people before, I've never had a, I don't think I've ever had a leader around me in the Christian faith that's like, yeah, I've changed my mind on that. Or like, I don't know, you know? He's like, it's his job to know. And I think about in my, I can remember in my, in, We're all in trouble. In my job with InterVarsity a number of years ago, I had a supervisor get up in front of a whole bunch of us and he apologized for something. And then he wept and he talked about um, some stuff that was going on in his family and a diagnosis that his kid had had. And how, and he, but he confessed like some of his, even the way he hadn't been a good father and things. And I remember being like, this is so uncomfortable. Like, I want to run away. This feels like, as a leader, you're not supposed to do that. And at the same time, like, I want to follow you. I'll do anything yeah. for you. Yeah. You know, like, that's the kind of leadership that we actually, does. there is something in us that even though we resist it, yeah. that resonates deeply with like, yeah. oh, a leader who is powerful and vul deeply vulnerable, mm -hmm. you know? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, what we say about Jesus here today is nothing new, but I think because it's so countercultural and it's so counter individually for us, it's something we just constantly need to be reminded of. We constantly need to remind one another about what it means for Jesus to be king, that servanthood. And I just end with this question is just what would it look like if we crowned Jesus in our lives? What does that look like? How do we live out the crowning of Jesus, the surrender to King Jesus in our lives, individually and as a church. And then ultimately, what do we miss if we don't? What do we miss? And what does the world miss if we don't? Because I think what the world desperately continues to need right now is the example of King Jesus that modeled and lived out that humility, that gentleness, the tenderness, the compassion, the grace, the mercy, all that, you know, the, that is what the world desperately needs now. And so my question, and just leave you with this today, is just, so what does that mean for you today? How do you live that out in your lives? Would you pray with me?